whole thing. I just, I want her mic. I want everything. I can't get over this room full of you. You know, none of us who are getting our golden plates would have been in your seats. We were not Rhodeses or Marshalls or Zuckermans. I know Zuckerman. He would not have been a Zuckerman. Um, <laughs> Congratulations to all of you. I am just thrilled to be here with you, and I'm going to try to go really fast because they've given us, they give you like 10 minutes to tell everything you know. Everything. I can't do it. I need 16 minutes to tell you everything I know. Okay, I'm going to do anecdotes too, but I call them epiphanies. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about how I became a writer, and then I'm going to draw a little conclusion, and I hope I'll have time for two questions, and I hope there will be two questions. First of all, I decided when I was in high school that I wanted to be a journalist um, for no real reason except that I had been under the literary influence of Lois Lane in Superman, and um, it seemed like a good idea. And so I took a class in journalism and I had the greatest teacher that I ever had and I want to tell you about what happened to me in that class because it changed my life. It was the first day of class and if any of you have taken journalism, you know that what they do is they teach you how to write a lead. They teach you how to start writing the story. And they go to the blackboard and they write who, what, where, why, when, and how on the blackboard, and that's what has to be in the first paragraph of any decent newspaper story. And then what they normally do, and what Mr. Charles Sims, my journalism teacher, did, is that he dictated a set of facts to us, and then we were supposed to go and write the lead to the story. So, he said something like this, the principal of Beverly Hills High School, that's where I went to school, announced today that the faculty of the high school will travel to Sacramento on Thursday for a colloquium in new teaching methods. Speaking there will be anthropologist Margaret Mead, um, University of Chicago president Robert Maynard Hutchins, and some third person, blah, blah, blah. So we all sat at our typewriters and we kind of inverted the story. And it went, you know, Margaret Mead, Robert Maynard Hutchins, and a third person will address the faculty Thursday in Sacramento at a colloquium on new teaching methods the principal announced today. And we all were very proud of ourselves, and we turned in our leads, and Mr. Sims threw them in the trash and said, the lead to the story is, there will be no school Thursday. It was the electric light going on in the cartoon. I just fell in love with journalism at that moment. I thought, oh my God, it's about the point. You, who, what, when, and why, and how, and where, and all of that stuff, forget it if you do not get the point of the story. And I was one of those math, I was a, I have a kind of math brain, but I was about to wash out in trigonometry, and it was this perfect place to take this 
puzzle-solving gift that I had and put it onto this other gift that I had, which is that I could write a nice, plain, simple sentence. And I cannot tell you, you know, the fun of journalism, the joy of journalism, in addition to the fact that it takes you into worlds that you would never, ever go into, um, is that you are constantly having to puzzle out what this all means, what is the point of it. And I became a journalist, I became a newspaper reporter and then a magazine writer, and, and I was in love with the point, I was in love with the truth, I believed in the truth. I was like a, if I had a religion, that was it. And the thing I could never get over when I was a reporter is that you could never make up the stuff that you found. You could never imagine on your way to the demonstration or the political debate or the wedding of the president's daughter, whatever thing they were making me cover that day, you could never make up details or quotes or anything that would ever have matched what you found when you actually got to the real story. Real life just had this way of constantly delivering to you. And so there I was, madly in love with the truth, but I got older and things moved along and I got to, um, there was a point in New York life where everyone was trying to write a screenplay. Um, it was sort of the same year that the, way before you were, any of you were born, but it was the year that the sideburn ferry flew over New York and suddenly all the men had sideburns. Um, the screenwriter ferry flew over New York and everybody wanted to write a screenplay and I was one of those people and I wrote a couple of screenplays and even though none of them got made, I kind of got a little reputation that I could write a screenplay. And that's how I found myself in a room with Mike Nichols, the great director Mike Nichols, working on the script of what became the movie Silkwood with Meryl Streep. And Silkwood is a movie about a nuclear worker. It's a true, based on a true story about a woman who worked in a plutonium plant in Oklahoma that was an unsafe plant. And um, she was killed in a car accident on her way to meet a New York Times reporter. And to tell him about the plant she worked in and who killed her and all of that is still something of a mystery. Well, it is a mystery. So anyway, here we are working with Mike Nichols on this movie about this true story. True story. Karen Silkwood had a boyfriend, Drew Stevens, who was played by Kurt Russell in the movie. She had a roommate who was played by Cher in the movie. and. We're working with Mike Nichols, and there's a reason why Alice Arlen, whom I wrote this movie with, and I are working with Mike Nichols, and I have to tell you a little background. Mike Nichols, this, who is this great, 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 great director, um, had had a terrible experience with a friend a few months before he committed to work on our movie. He was supposed to do a Broadway play with this good friend of his that we'll call Jane Doe, right? And 
She was his neighbor. He had done a television show with her. They loved each other, and they were going to do this giant musical of La Cajo Foll, and it was going to be a monster hit, and everyone was going to make trillions of dollars. And they had been working on it for just a few weeks when they had a big fight, and amazingly, Mike was thrown off the project by Jane Doe, his close, close friend. And he was shocked, stunned, betrayed. He was betrayed. He had been betrayed. Remember that. So now we're working on the script of Silkwood. And we're doing what you do when you do a script, which is that you go through it scene by scene by scene. And um, you're trying to make it richer. You're trying to make it better. And every time we would do a scene where Karen Silkwood and her female roommate were in the scene, Mike would suggest that this female roommate, who was going to be played by Cher, betray Karen Silkwood. <laughs> He had a million ideas. Karen was going to walk into a ladies' room and it was going to say, Karen Silkwood is a spy on the mirror in lipstick. And I kept saying, but that's not what happened. And he said, but it's not a bad idea. And, <laughs> and I finally said to him, you know, Mike, Jane Doe did not kill Karen Silkwood. And you have to stop making this happen. And he started to laugh, and he said, oh, it's just like the story of the man and the woman on the deserted peninsula. <laughs> so I said, what about that? I thought, oh, this is something I failed to read in college, like Proust, you know? <laughs> and, and he said, no, he said, and now I'm going to tell you this, because this is just, this is one of the great riddles. And if you're ever stuck waiting for a table or a ferry or anything somewhere, this is a good thing to play with your friends. A man and a woman live in a house on a deserted peninsula. The man's mother comes to stay with them. The man goes off on a business trip. The woman takes the ferry to the mainland to see her lover. She and the lover make love, and she realizes it's very late, and she might miss the ferry. So she races to the ferry slip, and there's the captain, and she has missed the last ferry. And she says, please, please, take me back to the peninsula. I will give you six times the normal ferry fare. He says, nope, nope, can't do it. So she has to walk home, and on the way, she meets an evil human being, and she is raped and killed. And the question is, who is responsible for her death, and in what order? The woman, the man, the mother, the ferryboat captain, the lover, or the rapist? If you say to your friends, make a list and put them in order, you will be stunned that your friends do not put those people in the same order that you do. And when Mike told us that, and when Alice, Mike, and I made out that list in terms of not just the man and the woman on the deserted peninsula, but Karen Silkwood, 
It was completely different. We all told the story differently. And that was the second major light bulb in my life as a writer. That was the moment when I realized it's not about the truth. It's about the story. And everybody tells the story differently. You know, when you're a journalist, you truly delude yourself that you are writing the truth. And I hear journalists talk about the truth, the truth, the truth. There is no such thing. There is, it is a rare story. It's a rare set of facts that there's only one good lead to there will be no school Thursday. Everybody has a different way of telling the story. Everybody tells it differently. And that was the thing that propelled me into realizing and loving that I could make things up, that I didn't have to stay in the world of truth. I could go elsewhere. And I could talk to you all day about some other epiphanies I've had, but I wanted to just tell you those two along the following lines, which are that, that basically the luckiest thing that has happened to me as a writer and what I would hope for all of you, Marshalls and Rhodeses and Zuckermans and everything else, is that at some point, and you, I'm telling you this now because I didn't know it, Whatever you choose to do next is not, if you are lucky, what you are going to do forever. And the luckiest thing that can happen is that you can keep kind of moving sideways, that you can keep changing, that you can stay open. I'll do a different thing. But stay open to the changes that happen to you in whatever you begin by doing so that you can make that transition into something else and you don't find yourself at a certain point later in life having done the same thing for many, many years and kind of secretly gotten bored by it, so bored that you might feel compelled to buy a boat or something <laughs> to perk up your life.